Good afternoon. This is Pastor Barton Strigler joining you again from another live podcast from my office. Uh, Here it is already afternoon. I apologize for not getting this out quicker, but it has been kind of a busy and hectic day. It's kind of been a busy and hectic week, but uh, now we've got time to sit down and visit for a while. So uh, I encourage you today to get your Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of John, the second chapter, verses 13 through 17. John 2, verses 13 through 17. I hope everybody is still behaving themselves and you're still safe, you're still healthy, and you're hanging in there. You're not letting your guard down. You're not getting complacent. This is no time to do that. And uh, it's very challenging time, very trying time, but we're going to make it through some way, somehow. Just let me encourage you again, as I've been doing, to stand firm in your faith. Now, as we turn to the Word of God here for a few minutes this afternoon, you know, our nation is now almost a month and some places longer than that where the local church building has gone somewhat dark and We find ourselves as pastors preaching to empty pews every Sunday because of this Corona pandemic. But I am somewhat convinced this coronavirus outbreak is possibly the greatest outreach opportunity for the church worldwide. You know, this coronavirus has covered the whole globe and it's brought missions to our own turf. And the church needs to respond to the current situation, not only sensibly, but we need to center our response around the gospel. Our God, he's not surprised by this viral outbreak. He's not disinterested in our fears. He's our rock. He is our light, our salvation. And this might be a good time to look toward our book of Psalm instead of our news feeds for support. As American Christians, we're somewhat accustomed to power and security, and suddenly as the possibility for reversal becomes greater, it is how we respond in times when we feel powerless and vulnerable that may offer the opportunity for growth for us and to witness to others we say we long for. You know, Jesus told us to let our light shine in the dark world. And our response in a time like this may be such a time to let our light shine like we have not done for some time. So let's turn now to to the Bible, to the Gospel of John, the second chapter. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. It says, and the Jewish Passover was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money setting. And when he had made a scourge or a whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overthrew or overturned the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, 
the zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. A very familiar scripture that we're looking at today. Now, just as Jesus was found in our text, cleansing the temple and driving out all that was wrong, I believe in one mighty breath of God, he has once again begun the process of cleansing the temple by closing down our churches, our places of worship. You know, just as Jesus drove out the money changers and overthrew the tables after he cleaned out the temple, they did return. And I imagine when they returned, they were different people. They were better people. As the Lord is once again cleansing his house, my question for us today is, and this is the title of this particular sermon or podcast, however you want to address it, how are we going to look when we come back in? How are we going to look when we come back in? Are we going to be changed? Are we going to be different? Are we going to be better? I don't think this narrative found in our text is simply about Jesus getting angry. Jesus got angry. I get angry. Every one of us gets angry. And it's okay to get angry. But that misses the point. There's more to this narrative than that. And I don't think it's about the animals or the money changers being in the temple. Jesus surely had to have known that they were there. You know, he grew up as a faithful Jew going to the temple. He didn't just show up this day and say, wow, there are animals and there are money changers here. I, I, I didn't know this. This is wrong. That's how the system worked. It was business as usual for them to be there. I think Jesus went to the temple that day for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to throw out and overturn business as usual. There are times when we need the tables of our lives overturned, and we need the animals thrown out. In other words, we need to get the trash out of our lives. It's just so easy to be just like this narrative that we're looking at. It is so easy to fall into the trap of business as usual. And there are thousands of reasons. There are thousands of ways which we fall into business as usual. But there's one thing, however, that I keep coming back to, and that is forgetfulness. Business as usual is born of forgetfulness. We forget that we really are the temple of God's presence. We forget that all of creation is the residence of God. We forget that in whatever direction we might turn, there is the face of God gazing upon us. And as soon as we forget those things about ourselves, each other, or the world, life becomes business as usual. In our church, attendance at church each week becomes nothing more than business as usual. This text that we're looking at today takes place at the Jewish temple, which was roughly 15 stories above the Kendron Valley. And this was a huge place. It was nearly 500 yards long. It was nearly 400 yards wide. The outer court of the temple was nearly the size of 48 basketball courts. But the temple had become a actual shopping mall, if you will. There was pens of sheep and goats and oxen and doves and other animals for sacrifice everywhere. Money changers operated several of the tables. And in one sense, these merchants provided a needed service. 
you know, worshipers had to come from great distances and they were expected to offer animal sacrifices and financial gifts at the temple. And these pilgrims found it convenient to buy whatever they needed when they got there. Instead of bringing their sacrifice with them, they could just purchase it from someone else for a price. Well, what started out as a convenience turned into a very profitable money-making scheme. The priests and the local politicians maintained strict control over franchises in the temple area, and they often demanded a kickback. Once merchants had a corner on the market, they felt free to do as they pleased. Money changers would charge high fees to exchange shekels for pagan coins, and those who sold sacrificial animals would mark up the prices too. And just in case someone got the brilliant idea to set up a competing market elsewhere and undercut the temple sellers, the priests had that covered too. Before any animal could be sacrificed, it had to pass a temple inspection, and the priest would simply reject any animal that didn't come from their licensed merchants. Well, I tell you all that to say this. The modern church, in all its extravagance and need for relevance, has done the same thing. It looks for ways to assist God and to push its own agenda and views of Scripture. And we'll get back to that in a few minutes. But the Gospel writer John in our text today begins by telling us the reason that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He did so because this celebration of Passover was a time when God's people went to worship God, and it was when God's power and protection of the Hebrews in Egypt was commemorated. He did so, Jesus that is, he he went because God commanded the Passover celebration. He did so because this was an opportunity to worship God. This is the first Passover Jesus would attend after his public ministry had begun. He would attend two more, the third being uh, at his own crucifixion. You know, when he went to to uh, uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple before he was crucified. The point Jesus makes at this, the first Passover, is his passion, his zeal for pure worship. I think we can imagine the anticipation the worshipers had during these days of the Passover celebration. Passover was one of the pilgrimage celebrations. This means that worshipers would make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple, to make the sacrificial offering and worship God. And along the way, oftentimes the the Psalms were sung, also commemorating God's deliverance during the Passover. And it's very interesting to me that the Lamb of God would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this is something that Jesus did every year. Luke records one of the trips Jesus made with his family when he was a young young man or a boy. But now it's different. He comes as an adult worshiper. Well, what did Jesus find when the trek to the temple was complete? Perhaps the same thing he would find if he visited many of our churches today. 
He didn't find worshipers, but a market setting, which included buying and selling and bartering and taking advantage of the poor. He saw the glory of his father's house turned into a place where those who had set up trade within the temple grounds cheated the poor worshipers. He saw selling. He saw bartering, not worship. He saw great profit, not great praise. And his blood began to boil. His zeal for his father's worship consumed him. The temple was to be the place where people joined together to worship God, to pray, and where the Bible was to be read and preached. No one could hear the sermon for the bidding that was going on outside, the bidding wars that was transpiring. Oh, oh, and lest I forget, there was the temple tax that had to be paid at Passover. So here, even though you brought money with you, your currency wasn't good enough. The temple tax had to be paid in pure Tyrian coins of solid weight. Of course, the money changers also charged a fee to exchange your currency for the temple currency. And Jesus was sick, and he was tired of witnessing these swindlers taking advantage of the people. He was sick and tired of the worship of God being defamed by crooks. So what does the Bible say that he did? It says he makes a whip and he goes to work. Can you imagine when he did that, the commotion and the dust storm that was rising from the temple courts that day? You know, lambs were running loose and oxen were running everywhere and coins were rolling all over the courtyard. Those engaged in profiting from the poor worship were running for their lives. It wasn't an army or a gathering of local magistrates, but one man with a passion for his fathers with a whip. Folks, I believe we're at least close to that same point in history again. No, Jesus has not returned with a whip to clean out the church. This time with the mighty breath of God, he has turned out our lights and he has closed the doors of the church, the place of worship. And I wonder if the church is going to respond accordingly. Do we hear the voice of God in this pandemic? How are we going to look when we come back in? You see in this text today how Jesus literally shut the temple down. He shut the temple down that day, throwing everything into chaos. He occupied the the temple, had his disciples shut the gates. And as Luke remembers, he gave further teaching. And this wasn't any small feat because on this particular day, it is believed that there was between 300,000 and 400,000 pilgrims and priests and men and women and Gentiles and worshipers and merchants and the like. And Jesus occupied the temple because the the people in charge had lost the script and they were perpetuating injustice. Jesus was, was not only speaking truth to power, he was demonstrating it powerfully, confrontationally, directly. I believe this season we are in, God has done the same thing. We too have too many ministers that have taken what God has established and and flipped it for the purpose of popularity or notoriety. They want to be different and sell themselves as this ain't your grandparents' church. 
in an attempt to be different, they have sacrificed what matters most. In the pulpits, we want to look like the world in our muscle shirts or our sports jerseys or preaching with baseball caps on our head and some of them even turned around backwards or preaching in ripped up jeans or preaching in tight jeans or a praise team in the pulpit instead of preachers and and pastors, you know, who are now in the pews. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Romans 12, 2 tells us and be and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible has everything we need to know. If God didn't intend for us to follow this book to the letter, he would have left it out, or he would have placed a expiration date on it. God's stance on sin has never changed. God's ways are still the same. He said, for I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That has not changed. Churches today are giving their congregation half of God's promises. Pentecost was never supposed to cease. They tell their congregation that was for another time, for another people. You know, you don't go to a restaurant and get a full menu only to be told you can only order from the first page because the other pages are just reminders of what people used to get. Nor would you find a fully stocked Walmart with a small designated area of items they feel you need while the rest of the store is meant to be a collection of things they once sold. Yet this is how the word is given to people today. Like church is some kind of Burger King. People today are treating God's word like soured milk and throwing it out because to them it has expired, served its time. Churches may change their names. The building may be more modern. They may change their style of worship. Praise teams may replace the choir. Phones and tablets may have the digital word replacing the printed word. The pulpit may change. The way we connect to people may change. But one thing that can never change is the anointing. It is the only thing that can break the yokes of bondage. We may have to change the packaging, but you don't sacrifice the formula. You know, recall with me, go back in history. Go back in time to the 80s and 90s. Coke and Pepsi both messed with the formula by introducing new Coke and Crystal Pepsi. And what happened to them? Both of them was rejected. Why? Because you can't beat the original form formula. What Jesus saw at the temple then is what he is seeing in our church today. We have the dove, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, caged up and unable to be free and move freely. When the church cages up the Holy Spirit, we lose control. Without the Holy Spirit, people can live any way they want to live and and never feel any kind of conviction about their sins. We have large churches today that don't preach about sin. People talk about people don't come to church to hear that. 
we peddled books and CDs and DVDs in the pulpit before we preached the gospel. And I use that word preach very lightly. We sell clothes or jewelry or hats or ties at convention and no interest in the word or, or learning. We no longer have prayer services at our churches. We, we, we have Bible study one day a month, if you're lucky. We have 15-minute prayer services each week, if we're lucky. Most Bible students are not, or, or Bible studies are not Bible studies at all. We have congregations that 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 pastors are 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 talking to six or seven or eight people. Well, that's not really being a pastor. You're more like the president of a club. Young preachers who don't want to learn anything and sit under a seasoned pastor and learn. They want to go out and start a church on their own. Whole lot of noise and no substance. We have 35, 40 minutes of praise and worship and only 10 minutes of the preached word. In the modern day church, it seems we have a lot of tools and resources, but still suffer from the power outages. Many are clouds without water, carried about of the winds, trees whose fruits withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We constantly hear about how the church needs to take advantage of all the technology of the 21st century. And with that, I agree. We need to be on TV. We need to be on the Internet. We use, need to use everything we can to get the gospel message to the world. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit is what makes us most effective for the kingdom. Don't get me wrong. You know, I like I like dramas. I like praise teams. but I, you know, I like good singing and preaching, but without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, all of that will not change one life. The church can't set the world free until we are set free. We can't give the world something we don't possess ourselves. There are people who have been crippled by sin. And they need a church that believes in operating in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. The world isn't looking for a church or its people that are lifeless or on the opposite side, full of entertainment. It is looking for those that have been set afire by the Holy Spirit. It is looking for a church where there is liberty to worship, a church where the wind of God is blowing and the fire of God is burning. And when the Holy Spirit has liberty, we will see the gifts of that spirit in operation on a regular basis. But how are we going to look when we come back in? Here we see God has overturned the tables and not only put out the money changers, but he has turned the lights out completely. Pastors now broadcasting on social media with 10 or less in the congregation, others broadcasting from their living rooms or home office, just like I have been doing here for several weeks, finally preaching and teaching the word of God. And you notice in most cases, there's no praise teams, there's no piano, there's no organ, there's no music of any time. And the point being, the focus of our worship has been placed back on the Lord God Almighty. You ever think this happened right around the time of our Holy Week, Good Friday, 
seven last words, resurrection Sunday, simultaneous revivals. The Lord God Almighty shut it all down. How are we going to look when we come back in? Worshiping God accurately and purely is of the utmost importance. And this text that we looked at today meets the need. We have to see how precious it is to worship God. And I just pray this text through the eyes of this pandemic shows us again how important true worship is. I pray also we see the need to always be refining and reforming our worship practices to be more in line with the scriptures. When the pure worship of God is demeaned, he does not receive the glory due his name. He doesn't receive the honor that he deserves. When people add things to the worship of God, whether it be setting up bartering tables in the temple or some man-centered culturally driven act of worship, they are defaming God's name. And I pray that as we see through the Bible, the passion Jesus had for pure worship, that we too be passionate for true and pure worship as well. So the first thing to remember is true worship is not what you think worship is, but what God thinks. It's not what you desire to do, but what God desires. I know many church groups go outside of what God desires worship to be. I've heard terms like freedom of worship, and by this they mean pretty much anything goes. I've heard of misled ideas such as, why do we need preaching? Let's just sing praise songs throughout the service. Devote 10 or 12 minutes to preaching the word. We must be careful to formulate our worship. It must be conformed to God's standards, not men's standards. God, with a mighty breath, has shut down the church buildings for our reflection and for our correction. And I wonder today, are we listening? And I wonder today, how are we going to look when we go back in? Let's pray together and we'll end this podcast today. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your protection, Father God, for your love, your mercy, your grace. And I just pray that everyone that is listening to or going to listen to this podcast, Father, that this time finds them safe and healthy. Father, I just pray for your continued protection over each and every one of us. Father, I pray that you just give us guidance and direction and that you forgive us where we fail you, Father. Again, I lift up all those that are suffering from this virus, those that have lost loved ones for this virus. I pray for the doctors and the nurses and the EMT workers, Father, and your protection upon them. Father, we just thank you for your love and all the blessings that you give us, Father. And just keep us safe in these weeks ahead. And I just know, I just know that, yeah, we may not be in church and, and worshiping in the church like we normally would be, but we're, we're a week closer. We're getting closer every day. So just thank you again for all that you do for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.